0: All right. Are we ready now? Yeah. Take your Bible if you will and come to First Timothy chapter number three. First Timothy chapter number three. Glad you're here. Appreciate you coming. I'm going to um, preach a couple of things to you, teach a couple of things between tonight and I mean this afternoon, this morning and uh this afternoon, probably even into Wednesday. Uh now there's something you need to recognize about what I'm going to do, and that is uh, to to recognize if the shoe don't fit, don't put it on. But there's a bad need for what I'm going to try to show you, and if nothing else, it's a tune-up, it's a wake-up, it's a, an attempt to help us to recognize that God gave us something when He gave us the church. And uh, it's it's not about just driving you to... Uh, to attend. It's about understanding why God gave you that. Now, if Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh, He manifested Himself to the world in human flesh. Is that right? Yes, sir, yes. So His bride is to manifest Him, the fact that He is still alive and ever liveth and make intercession for you, but He's not here anymore. So what's His representative on earth that people can see? It has to be the church, the bride. Now, when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about bricks and mortar, although that's where we gather. The church is the uh, body of Christ that is put together. And uh, for me, sometimes going over this stuff, even though it may seem a bit redundant, uh, sometimes it's good for me to go over that, to recognize that uh, God left us a special gift when He left us the church. But by no means is that gift intended to put you in bondage. That's right. Amen. Do you understand? God wants you to come to church because you want to come to church, not because He's holding a gun to your head. That doesn't prove anything. And there are uh, situations that occur in time. The old preacher, one of the old preachers used to say, uh, you know, the ox is in the ditch. And then the ox is in the ditch every single week. Well, you either need to shoot the ox or fill in the ditch. (laughs) But nonetheless, there is a lot to be said for times where sickness comes in or difficulties or problems I'm going to say something that will be offensive to some of you. Old age steps in. And when old age steps in, it makes things that used to be more simplistic. It makes things much more difficult. It makes it harder. Uh, Things that you used to take for granted, being able to get up and get around, all of a sudden, your get up and go got up and went. And uh, if you're not having that problem, thank the Lord for it. But in time, those things occur. You can't do the things that you used to do as you grow older. That's just to remind you you're fixing to go to the other side. So as I give through the, I go through this, I want you to have the proper balance about it so that you don't feel like that. Uh, there, I, I want you to know clearly there's no benefit to me guilt tripping you to come to church. I believe if you come because you feel guilty or you come just because you're afraid God's going to blow up your water heater, I think you bring a bad spirit when you come. I, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. I like church. It, it helps me. And so the Lord says this to you in First Timothy chapter number 3. And I'm going to just run through a few of these things so that you understand. He's going to talk about uh, Jesus Christ, not just manifest in the flesh. We already went through Christ in you. That's a mystery. And then Christ and the church. That's an unusual thing. You're a whole different group of individuals that put together during this time. Your salvation, 1 Corinthians 15, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection is by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with any works whatsoever. Your home is in heaven. You're seated with Him right now in heavenly places. He's in you, but you're seated up there. You can't figure that out, but it's a mystery. But it's, th- but it's true. And so the things that you have to recognize or, or see contextually is, is the Lord likes and likens unto your ministry to other people, and you're putting out or you're propagating of the gospel, the same as when Jesus Christ came down and had a ministry without signs, wonders, and miracles. The most important thing in your life is your fellowship with Jesus Christ. You get your fellowship right with Jesus Christ, everything else falls in line. You don't have to be driven to do anything. If your fellowship with Jesus Christ is right, it'll be known of you. Uh, Paul says, that evidence of the Holy Spirit, and in Acts chapter 2, when they got it, they spake the word of God boldly. The thing that did was publish the gospel. That's what your purpose is. It's not just lifestyle witnessing. It's not just where people are looking at you all the time. It's also opening it up or handing out a track or passing out a tape or a CD or whatever. Any way that you can can put out the most powerful thing in the universe, which is that book. And so he uses you to do that. And he uses this place as a number of things that I'm going to show you here in a second uh, that hopefully will help you to recognize that when he left you with this, he left you with something that's not just a a benefit to you, but a responsibility for you. The maintenance of the church relies upon us. Uh, In the last days, many give heed to seducing spirits and doctors of devils, and many depart from the faith. What do they do? They leave. They're done. They don't need it. The, the gospel was never given to you to create individuals in the sense of being a rebel. They're supposed to be unity together. And so we're supposed to come together for those reasons. Pick it up in chapter 3, verse number 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, he's not just talking about the church building. He's also talking about you. You're, you are the house of God. He lives inside you. So there is a requirement for you to know how to behave yourself. Amen. We're supposed to do certain things. You say, well, you're just giving me a bunch of rules and regulations. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, can you not be difficult this morning? Everything in life has rules and regulations. Everything in life, you're governed to do certain things. Don't blame the preacher when he says that as a Christian, God expects certain things of you. That's all for your good. And don't say that the church is the only place that tries to put down uh, uh, responsibilities on you or things that you should be accountable for. The judgment seat of Christ holds us accountable for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Is that right? So, so don't, don't all of a sudden be hypocritical and say, oh, well, here we go with a bunch of standards. You have rules for everything you do. I guarantee you if you work for somebody, there are rules that, are gover- that govern your conduct. Sure. Yep. You walk into a restaurant, no shoes, no shirt, no service. Right. That's a rule. You go to visit somebody in prison, there's a list of things that you have to do and some checks that have to be taken place before you're allowed to go. There's a rule. Drive on the car, there's a rule. I mean, on the road, there's a rule. There's rules for everything, do you understand? So it's not just the Lord legislating something. He said, you ought to know how to behave. You ought to have some, what we used to call back in the day, home training. You ought to have a little bit of home training. All right, he says, behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Without controversy, great is a mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. Do you think it's odd that right at the same time, after he mentions the church, that he mentions God manifest? Do you see down in chapter number four, the spirit speaks of some to depart from the faith? Do you see where that's sandwiched in there? So he's making an, an emphasis to let you know that the church is directly equated to somebody that says they're in fellowship with the Lord. An individual that says they're married and never goes home, he might have a different interpretation of marriage. Right? I mean, if you were married to somebody that was like that who said they were married to you, but they weren't overseas, they weren't fighting battles, they weren't doing that, but they never came home, is that your idea of marriage? Well, why is it, ladies and gentlemen, that we have a hard time understanding that people, when you say the word Christian, they associate Christian with church. And they expect certain things. And that's what it's supposed to look like. All right, take your Bible. Let me uh, show you just a couple of things. Come to Isaiah chapter number 58. Isaiah chapter 58. Now, if you want to know some things about fasting, Isaiah 58 is a definitive work on that. There's a lot of things that are in there, but that's not what this is. He's repaired the breach that's taken place in verse number 12. He's restored the path to dwell in in verse number 12. And look at verse number 13. If thou turn away, thy, th- uh, turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy Lord and honorable, and shalt honor Him not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. You know what he just said? If you stop doing what you want to do on that day and set that day aside for him, then he gave you a promise that goes with it. Well, but preacher, you know, uh, uh, the Lord, uh, that's under the law. Okay, the Lord created the earth in how many days? How many? What did he do on the seventh day? Could you tell me where the law was? There was no law. The seventh day he didn 't rest because he was fatigued. he set the day aside to do something then something for himself. He set the day aside for himself now you're, I, I know you 're going to get offended by this, but do, just just park your feelings for a minute and look at what the Bible said. God gave you an opportunity and a place to come to because what it says to the world out there we 're separated from what everybody else considers to be just another day. And that used to be a a big deal. Look in uh, Psalms chapter number 37. I'll tell you what let's do. Come all the way over to the book of Luke. Now in in Ephesians chapter number 5, husbands, he says, love your wife. Right? As Christ loved the... And did what? All right, what did he do for the church? The only way you and I get into heaven is because he was willing to die. He had to put aside what he wanted to do, not my will, but thine be done for our benefit. Is that fair? All right, the illustration now he's making is is that that's how we're to love our, our wives, is that we're supposed to give ourselves for their benefit. Right? All right, so if that's the case and the Lord feels that way about it, then you should be able to find some things where he sets an example. Now, if Jesus attended church, would you think you should attend church? Do you think Jesus just went when he felt like it or do you think he was pretty much a regular attender? Do you think the apostles were? How about the Apostle Paul? I'll give you the references in a minute. But even after the Sabbath is no longer there, which was given as a sign unto Israel, even after that takes place, you know what you see a meeting? First First day of the week. 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 Why? You get over there in John chapter 20, when the Lord comes walking through the door over there, they're gathered on the first day of the week. Well, church is not a big deal. Well, it's all through your Bible. And in your Bible, ladies and gentlemen, it's a day to set aside from the rest of the world, to get out from the world, to come out and just to be separated. Why? I'm going to church makes a statement anymore. It's not a matter of convenience. You have an idea nowadays because of modern technology that what I can now do is is I can just flip on the internet and watch a regular service and that's just the same thing. No, it's not. That doesn't say anything to anybody. That means you're not, they're not seeing you driving here. They're not seeing you fill up a building. They're not seeing when the cameras are on the building full of people that are here. They're not seeing altars full. They're not seeing Bibles open. They're not hearing hymns sung. They're not seeing that you're sitting there in your jams with your hot chocolate. You say, what is that? It's no testimony at all. The church was never intended to be something of convenience and let me just say this for some friends of mine that are, that are way down south on another part of the world there's this heresy going around that uh, individuals that were saved that weren't saved out of a King James Bible aren't saved well, let me just answer that heresy okay? what do you do with all the people before 1611 from Acts chapter number 2 until 1611 where the word of the king is there's power how about all those people I've been in countries before where they've never even seen a King James Bible. What about all those people that got saved? Well, they didn't really get saved. Listen, the words may not always be exactly verbatim with what it has. Thank God for the King James Bible. I believe it cover to cover, including the maps the cover the whole nine yards. I believe all that stuff. But you get to be sort of reclusive a little bit. I guess I would even say narcissistic that you got saved out of a King James, but nobody else can get saved except how you got saved. That's hogwash. The, the, The words that are in there, the way I've seen people get saved off a word book. You know that book that's in there with the black and then the red and then the white? And then the blue that comes after that? You say, what's the black? It's my sin. What's the red? The blood. What's the white? I got cleaned by the blood. What's the blue? I'm going to heaven when I die. Amen. I've seen people get saved that way. I've seen people get saved. You trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and have them reach out and grab a hand. I've been with them when they're dying and give them verses and just have them squeeze my hand. Well, they didn't confess. They couldn't confess. We'll see when we get to heaven how many of them are there. And all of a sudden, well, how'd you get here? I got in at the last possible minute by the skin of my teeth. Thank God I got saved. Man, that preacher came in and prayed with me, and I couldn't respond. I squeezed his hand. If that ain't good enough, you think, well, the Lord's like, well, you, didn't, you weren't able to say it, so you're going to... You think the Lord delights putting people in hell? Every time you give somebody the gospel, do you give it verbatim? Come on, ladies and gentlemen, that's the most ridiculous, foolish, you know what that is? That vaults yourself up in pride, that's arrogance, that's because I got the King James and nobody else. I've seen people get saved out of a living Bible. Heresy, heresy, heresy. There's enough of the King James in a living Bible, they can get it. There's enough of the gospel in there, they can get it. I've seen them get saved off of that stuff. Don't, get, don't fall for that foolishness. Consider yourself special, but be humble about it that the Lord showed you the truth of a King James Bible. But you know what I do know? Before I get off on that and go in the wrong direction, I know some people that don't know the truth of the King James Bible, but they got a lot better attitude than some of you. I mean, there you talk about humble. You talk about witness to a fence post, man. You talk about have a testimony for Jesus Christ. They don't know anything about 16 and 11. They don't know about rightly dividing. They don't know about commas and colons and semicolons and, and paragraph marks and all the stuff. that you folks, you take all that for granted. They don't even know that. But boy, you talk about getting a hold of the horns of the altar and being able to get up into heaven. Come on. My goodness, man, give me that prayer warrior any day over somebody who knows clinically every little thing and every little jot and every little tittle. I find that people are like that. They're so full of themselves and they're so starchy. They're like the tin man. They go through everything and it's all legalistic and it's all very formal. And they got no compassion. They got no care. They got no concern for anybody but themselves. They're always trying to put somebody down with their intellect. Well, the Lord's emotional. He's weeping over a group of people there that wouldn't come to him. He's weeping over unbelief there in John 11 when he pulls Lazarus up out of the tomb. Now, listen, the best thing you can do to, when you witness to somebody is you just tell them what they. I wonder what the woman at the well must have said. What text did she use when she turned out the whole town to come see Jesus? What text was it? I'd like to take it as my text today, John chapter three and verse number sixteen. Sister, that wasn't even written until 25 years after the Pauline Revelation. They didn't even have it. So the accusation was, is uh, some student got out and said, well, nobody ever taught me uh, at uh, the Bible Doctrine Institute uh, that uh, you had to get saved out of a King, or taught us that you got saved out of a King James Bible. Hogwash. None of the students, none of the teachers, the president, the vice president, the treasurer, uh, the dean of students, none of us teach that. Never have taught that. You just fool yourself, man. You need to turn your degree in. Because you obviously didn't learn anything. You're just using that to dangle over somebody's head like you know something. Well, you don't know the one that wrote the book. God bless you, that was just free. No, no extra charge for that. Luke chapter number four, look in verse number 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had begun uh, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, and as his custom was, And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for there to to read. It's customary for him to go. He did not go and show up the first time. Why, when he's 12 years of age, you know what happened? Mary and Joseph pack up the duds and they get all headed up, get on the camel train and they get headed out of there. And they wind up going a three day journey and somebody goes, we're missing something. And what are, what are you missing? I don't know. Yeah, I got the pots and the pans and I got this and I got that and I got the Tupperware and I got so on and so forth. Yeah, but uh, where's Jesus? Oops. You know where they found him? You know where they found him? They found him in church. You know what his response when Mary said, where in the cat hair have you been? Southern expression there. What, what are you doing like get chastising it to him? Where would you expect to find me? Don't you know I should be about my father's business? Where'd you expect to find me? Anywhere else but the temple. Well, that's at 12 years of age that he's in the temple. That's your Messiah. It's habit. It was his custom. He didn't just show up when he felt like it. It was his custom. Why? He was a Jew. He went every seven days. I mean, if you wanted to, if he was a Southern Baptist, he'd have a little pin up here, and he'd have perfect Sunday school attendance. He'd have a big old chain. You all know what I'm talking about. A big old chain down here. You know, I, I went while I was out of town. I got a bulletin from the other church. You walked through the vestibule, grabbed it, and walked out. But you turned that in, and you know what they did? They kept records back in those days of your attendance. You don't dare keep records anymore. Why, well, they keep attendance records when you come to work. They keep attendance records if you're in class. But if you were to dare take attendance at church, man, the church would vacate. People would be like, They're not telling, I, I'm you know, letting them know if I'm in church or not. Well, it doesn't matter if the people know you're in church or not. He knows. Amen. Where would you most likely find Jesus? Where is Jesus more likely to appear than anywhere else? In a bass boat? In a deer stand? Yes, sir. Out on a football field? Where do you think you've most likely find Jesus? I'm just going to say you probably find him in church. I know this is old school. I'm very, I know I'm a dinosaur. I don't know what kind of dinosaur I am. I'm sure y'all probably have some ideas of what you'd like for it to be. Look in Mark chapter number uh, 1. Mark chapter number 1. Wait, go to Luke 6 while you're in Luke. i got one more there in Luke 6. So if the Lord made it a habit, if the Lord made it a custom, do you think that that's probably a good thing to do? The apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Do you know where Paul spent the majority of his time on this earth when he wasn't traveling? He was in churches. He went from church to church to church to church to church to church to church. You know what Paul's ministry was? It wasn't out in the fields and the highways and the hedges like it was for the Lord gathering Israel. You know what it was? He's going to ministering in churches. If you wanted to hear the Apostle Paul, you know where you had to go? You had to go to church. Right. Nowadays, we call those things revival meetings. Luke chapter 6, look in verse number 6. It came to pass on the, uh, other, another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. They knew where to find him. They got a problem. Who do they do? We're going to go. Jesus is where? He's in the synagogue. Why? It's the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is to be kept. It's assigned to the nation of Israel. Mark chapter number 1. That's back toward Matthew. Mark chapter number 1. Verse number 21. And they went to Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, he went fishing. He had a ball game, a tournament. He wanted to go watch the football game. It was Super Bowl Sunday. I'm sorry, I'm reading the living Bible. On the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and did what? And look what he taught. They were astonished at his what? Doctrine. Doctrine. Come to Acts chapter number 11. Would you agree with me without having to pound the point too hard that the church is a place of learning? It's a place where you learn things you won't learn other places. I had a note in my Bible when I was going over this stuff. I wrote it to myself and the note just simply said, I'm sick and tired of trying to tell Christians that a life of prayer and Bible reading and church attendance is good for them. I just wrote that to myself. Because I thought, you know something, if I didn't have to preach on that, we could preach on a whole lot of other stuff, but you're always trying to convince Christians that church is good for them. Look, I, I I know at least some of your excuses you know, well, you know, I've been hurt by people in the church and there's hypocrites in the church and I know about this and that and the other. Okay, you don't quit going to the restaurant because they didn't serve you right. You don't quit going to Walmart. You don't quit going to the gas station. You don't quit going. But church, that's always the excuse. But if God died for it, He knew that right. Amen. when He gave it to you. He knew it's imperfect, right? Yes, yes. L- listen, the church is no better than you are. Imagine, you're, you, you heard it, Miss Brenda got it, it's like, oh wait, what? Yeah, no, no, it's no better than you are. None of us are, we, we think we're a legend in our own mind, but none of us are any better than anybody else. We all have our problems, every one of us. And so we come together, you say, what is it? It's not here to magnify everyone else's shortcomings. It's here to magnify Jesus Christ. This is why churches nowadays have gotten very popular in the sense of it's become a place for political gatherings and parties instead of a place where we get the focus on we're supposed to be learning the Bible. I don't know. I had a professor in college once and I went in the class and the professor just put some stuff up on. In those days, they had these big square things and this vellum film and you put them up there and she would adjust the thing like that and then uh, put it up there. I don't remember what the name of them was, but it was high technology, man. In those days, she could write it with a grease pencil and put it up there. She'd put the reading assignment up there and uh, take roll, and that was it. She didn't hardly say anything. You say, what happened? That class was a stinking hodgepodge, man. I mean, you go into that class, they're screaming and hollering at each other, and they're smooching in the back, and they're doing all kinds of stuff like that. They weren't getting anything out of class at all. Well, why bother to go? course at the end of the class if you didn't pass the test you flunked the class but it's a place that you're supposed to be learning right okay well church is not supposed to be a place where we have a social club on the other hand I had another professor he would start about two minutes earlier or two minutes early before you if you weren't in class and sitting in your seat you'd miss three-quarters of the things he was getting ready to tell you because you always had an introduction. And when he was in there, he was serious as a sack full of rattlesnakes. You felt like you were in the military when you walked in. But nobody dared utter a peep until he said, is there a question? And then it was done in an orderly fashion where it would raise their hand. You have a question pertaining to the subject here today. They weren't allowed to ask questions about, you know, different things. It was about the particular subject. You say, what? I still remember those, the contrast in those two professors. One of them cared enough to not care if you thought about him in a bad way or not. You come to his class, sit down, shut up, or he'd send you out of the class. You may be excused, Mr. Peacock. You obviously don't know how to behave yourself in class. Get out. You're not going to interrupt everybody else. Take your class. Either. I mean like that. And the other one? You just sit up there and you could throw spitballs or do whatever. It's like being in an elementary school. One of them's in it for a paycheck. One of them's in it to learn something, teach you something. So why are you here? I'll get to the fellowship part in a minute. I get all that. But that's not the main purpose. The main purpose is to, sir, we would see Jesus. The preacher is supposed to study so that I can instruct you, give you something to help you in your Christian life. Acts chapter number 11. Uh, look in verse number 26. 11 And when they had found him, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass a whole year. They assembled themselves with the and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You know what he said? I sent out the apostles. I sent out the disciples. What are they doing? They're meeting in the church. That's an interesting thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. The preacher I didn't know that there's this much stuff in there about the about the church. Well, good. It's time to learn. Verse number one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I have given the order of the churches of Galatia. Even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You know what he says? When you come together to church, you're supposed to have already laid it aside and it's set aside for whatever the purpose of God would have it to be used for. When was it done? First day of the week. What's the first day of the week? The first day of the week is Sunday. The Sabbath day, the Saturday, is the last day of the week. You meet on the first day of the week. You're to begin your whole week with the first day. It's not Monday. The first day of the week is Sunday. You set the tone for the rest of your week by starting it here. That's the foundational principle that's laid out there. Uh, Come to Revelation chapter number 1. It's a place for you to learn some things. It's a place to have fellowship with the Lord. Uh, it's a place to have fellowship with others. I won't deny you that. It definitely sets an example. But sometimes people, you know, you hear somebody that talks about being in the, in the Marine Corps or being in the Navy or being in the Army or the Air Force or whatever, and then you ask them when they went to boot camp, and they say, "Oh, well, I, I didn't. I, I never went to boot camp." <laughs> well, you're talking about being in the military. Well, well, I I, I know, but I didn't. You know, well, what ship were you assigned to? Oh, well, I, I wasn't assigned to a ship. Oh, okay. Well, what battalion, what platoon were you assigned to? Oh, well, I wasn't. Oh, what plane did you fly? Did you, were you a mechanic? Did you take care of the plane? Well, no, well, no, well, no, well I, I, I didn't do that either. Well, you said you were in the military. Well, well, I mean, I, I wish I could be in the military, you know. I've talked to a lot of people the internet. I know a lot of soldiers. Right? Well, you're not in the military. Why? You haven't signed on the dotted line and given yourself over to the government as government property. <laughs> That's what you are once you do that. You sign your life away. Well, you call yourself a Christian? Are you committed? Do you need to re-up? I mean, do you need to, you know, do, do you need to sign back in and say, you know what, you know, oh yeah, if I can get in on the drop plan, <laughs> the Lord might get you in on the drop plan, drop you like Ananias and Sapphira. You know why? They lie to the Holy Spirit in the church. Something about the church God seems to take serious. Messing with the church, God doesn't like that stuff. All right, look if you will, Revelation chapter number one, and look in verse number ten. I was in the spirit on and heard behind me a great voice of the trumpet. That's John. Oh, isn't it interesting that in John chapter 20, the Lord waits to appear until the day of the Lord and later on with Thomas, he shows up eight days later counting that day, that's the same day on the Lord's day and now you've got John coming up there and he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and the Lord chooses to set that apart to let you recognize whether you recognize it or not, He does. Yeah, good. It matters to Him that you set that time apart. Well, preacher, I don't believe you, have to go, you can go to heaven by doing that. Look at Ephesians chapter number 5. You don't have to uh, uh, go to heaven by doing that. You're saved by grace through faith. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But can you tell me what is, hurts? Would you agree with me if it is the place he's most likely to show up? Is it the place he's most likely to, to uh, speak Is it the thing that he uses most likely to draw others? Let me ask you a question. If you were going through difficulty, you remember when we went through the the thing when the towers and all came down? Do you realize how quick the churches filled up? They thought it was the end of the world. We were fixing to go to war. Do you remember that? And everybody's piling in the churches and piling in the churches and everybody's praying and praying to their gods and doing all this and that and the other. And then when everything passed... Then guess what happened? Everybody went back to doing whatever they wanted to do on Sunday because then all of a sudden it wasn't... But it's interesting... It's interesting that right at the end of World War II, when that thing started coming to a close, everybody was in church because there had been something like 35 million people killed, soldiers and others that had been killed, and everybody was diswrought and upset, and they're praying that the Lord would return their sons, the Lord would return their sons, and then when you wind up getting them out there on the flat top and they sign that signature, they're rejoicing in the streets and having ticker tape parades, and the people that had been filling up the churches, praying for their boys that were at war, all of a sudden the Church church is vacated. They didn't need God anymore. They just used him while they needed to use Him, and guess we'll just sort of fill in for it. I don't know why it is that people have a problem with church. The church is nothing more than people. It's like life. I can't imagine how it would have been for Moses. Can you imagine? Moses comes out there when he gets ready to lead those. They have 600,000 just men coming out of Egypt there. And that would probably be somewhere in the neighborhood, not counting women and children, but I could say conservatively, a church of a million people. They're called the Church of the Wilderness. Can you imagine what it would be like to have uh, the tabernacle set up there in the middle and 250,000 on each of those four places around those corners? That's like just the four different cities there. Moses is the pastor over all that. And every day he has to take care of sanitation for 250,000 people in four different locations. And God has to feed them for 40 years in the wilderness manna For a million people every single day. Can you imagine the amount of trouble? The Bible said all they did was murmur and complain. Can you imagine the few people you have around here that murmur and complain all the time? Can you imagine what it would be like if you had a million people murmuring and complaining all the time? I mean, no wonder Moses every now and then kind of like, Lord, you know, just kill them. (laughs) And then the Lord, then Moses has a, you know, a, a, an attack of conscience. And then the Lord steps in and says, Get out of the way, Moses. I'm killing them all. Boy, it's good they didn't get on the page at the same time. God got frustrated with them. And Moses, if him and Moses were all on the same page, like, go ahead, Lord, just smoke them. <laughs> just leave me around and leave me a woman, and we'll start all over again. You know? That's what he said to him one time Moses, I'm going to kill them all, and I'm starting all over with you. Man, if you were full of pride, you know what you'd say? Sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) Sure, Lord. I mean, all my decisions, the Lord said, no, I better not do that. But guess what happens? Moses got a responsibility. That thing goes all the way back to the church in the wilderness. You don't think church is important? Because of people and complaining? What kind of an excuse is that? I don't quit driving on the road because it's got potholes in it. I just try to drive around the potholes. What kind of government does this? I don't know. Maybe they're using their money for something else. Maybe it's more important for them to try to give me protection than it is to fix a pothole. I don't know. I'm sure there's other people on other streets that have potholes in their streets too. Maybe they get to come first. But what a dumb thing. I'm not pulling my car out of the garage until they fix the potholes. Well, it'll rot in the garage. Your tires will fall off. Well, until the church is fixed, I'm not coming. Well, if you're saved, you going to church one day. You say what? By death or rapture, you're going to go to church. One fellow said, if I, get to, if I die before the Lord raptures me out of here, I ain't going to uh, be in church. I said, how do you know that? He said, I'm telling you now, I won't be in church. I said, you'd be dead. You won't know. I said, I think I'll do it just to make you mad. You'd do that, wouldn't you? And I said, yeah, I'm going to bring you down there and say, this is a guy said he would never be in church. Amen. And now he's in heaven right now. And what a host of preachers he's got. Amen. You're going to have perfect attendance one day. Amen. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, no football on Sunday. You say, how do you know? I listen to you talk in the hallway. You talk about what you love or who you hate. We're here to talk about Jesus. Wouldn't that be refreshing? Instead of who got what for who? And who got what and who didn't get this and who didn't get that? Are you in Ephesians? I forgot where I told you to go in Ephesians. Do you remember where I told you to go? Five. Oh, where am I at? Oh, yeah, 1. Ephesians 5, 1. That's it. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for an offering, a sacrifice uh, to God, a sweet-smelling savor. All right, now if the Lord said to follow Him and Paul says to follow Him, do you think we should follow Him? Look in Ephesians chapter number 3. He uses it for the purpose of drawing other people to Christ. Forget about it being about you for a minute. And pause and think for a second. If God took the time to come down in human flesh and then He left the church here to reveal Him, what is their idea? What is their, what, what's their mindset about the church today? I mean, instead of talking about people that say there's too many hypocrites in the church, why don't we reduce the amount of hypocrites? If you had a business plan and you had a business and you found out after doing all your marketing research and so on and so forth, that there was a particular advertisement that was causing you to lose business, would you leave the advertisement on there? Well, I like the advertisement. It's too bad. It's truth. Or would you say, you know what? We maybe ought to change that. Is that right? Yes. Come on. Is that right? Yes. That's, not, that's just in the carnal world, right? Advertisement is to draw people in, Right. Well, what's their attitude about the church? Well, there's too many hypocrites in the church. Okay, let's reduce the amount of hypocrites. That's bad advertisement. Well, preacher, you're a hypocrite too. Okay, I'm trying to reduce it. Are you? Yes. You don't need anybody to shine a spotlight on me. I'm plenty capable of showing what a hypocrite I am. Just give time a little time and you'll find out I'm a hypocrite too, just like you. You young ones around here, you don't know what it's like in life. You know, that I mentioned about hemorrhoids around here every now and then. And you young ones look around like, oh, I can't believe that. Well, your day's coming. You'll wake up one morning, and go sit down at the breakfast table and go, oh. And then your mom is going to say, that's what the preacher's talking about. Time will get you. Just give it time. But shouldn't we try to reduce it? Shouldn't the advertisement be as the Lord manifested himself through Jesus Christ manifest in the flesh? Shouldn't people be able to see Jesus through the church? Yes. Amen. In Ephesians chapter, oh, whatever I gave you, 3. Look in verse 10. Thank you, Miss Brenda. At least you're listening to me. To the intent now, under the principalities and power, verse number 10, heavenly places might be known by the the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose in which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence and faith in Him. That mystery is things that are hidden, but it's to be known by the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3. God reveals things to the church. He doesn't reveal to everybody else. Don't you find that interesting? Come to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians 2. I'm going to have to quit here in a second. We've got a baptism this morning and I've got to get things ready to go. Ephesians chapter number 2. Uh, look in verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together as a habitation of God through the Spirit. I'll give you some more of this stuff for you uh, this this evening. But if the ground is the Bible and the pillar is your support of those truths, then you have a responsibility, not just a requirement, that you should be a part of what God's doing as far as the church is concerned. And God chooses to give you certain things in the church that He doesn't give everybody else. Uh, in Ephesians, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, He says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit, for they are spiritually discerned, neither can he know them. And then he says, if the natural man doesn't receive it, but he says, but you do know those things, because they are revealed to you by his spirit. But if the natural man can't receive them except because they're spiritually discerned, neither can he know them, how else is he going to know Jesus Christ unless you become in front of him flesh seeing flesh and him seeing something in you? He can't understand it spiritually. He has to see it in you. This is why your testimony is so vitally important. There has to be something different. This makes sense of your trouble. When trouble comes, they're watching you. Why? To manifest Jesus Christ. And some of you have been through some bad, hard, terrible trouble. But you know what it does? It manifests Christ. And when that happens, you get rewards at the judgment seat. That's not your reason for doing it. It's to manifest Christ. What makes you go through that? How are you able to get through that situation? How are you able to do those things? I've never seen anybody hold up under that kind of pressure, exercise that kind of wisdom, that kind of grace, and and show that kind of long-suffering and mercy toward individuals. How do you do that? Well, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. What does that even mean? But you see, he has to be able to see it in you because flesh understands flesh. He can't understand the things of the Spirit. You can machine-gun him with 50 verses of Scripture. But if he can't see it, he can't understand it. And you folks, you understand it just like that. Because you've got somebody in you that's giving you the interpretation of it. You read your Bible every day. The Lord speaks to you every day. You pray. You talk to Him. They don't have that access. You know what they have? They have an intercessor. They have an intermediate. They have someone to look to. They can't see Jesus unless they see him in you. You can't pray for them to get saved. You can pray for the opportunity to witness to them. You can't take their sins off of them. He can. But you know what you can do? You can stand there and say, let me show you him. Let me show you him. You say, what do they do? They see it in you. And sometimes our testimony speaks so loud that no matter how many verses of Scripture we give them, it's a laughing stock. You say, why? How you live does matter. That's what unsaved people see. They're carnal. They don't understand the things of the